Good morning. Welcome to Dave Fox Home Remodeling Show. I'm Gary Demas, your host, president of Dave Fox Design Build Remodelers right here in Columbus, Ohio. Really appreciate you tuning in. And you didn't have a chance to tune in last week, you can go to DaveFoxRadio.com. And there you'll find a listing of all of our previously broadcast shows. So... Again, DaveFoxRadio.com, if you ever want to look at any of our past shows and listen to them. Uh, today we've got an interesting show planned. I have Kevin Wheeler with me and James Goodman. Kevin and James, great to have you here this morning. Thanks for having us. Thank you. And you two gentlemen work with the city of Columbus. That's right. In the historic, uh, well, let's see, James, or Kevin, you're in the planning uh, administration. And James, are you specifically in historic? That's correct. Is that how that works? Yes. Okay, so Kevin, you're more general, um, all types of... Planning, right? That's right. Okay. So, uh, and you work with the city of Columbus, uh, which is a big city, a lot of people and a lot of structures. So why don't each of you, Kevin, maybe you just tell me a little bit about yourself, your background and uh, what you're doing now for the city of Columbus. And then uh, James will move to you. Sure. Thanks, Gary. I uh, began working for the city in 1989. I was an intern, um, interestingly enough, in the historic preservation program, having going through Ohio State City Planning uh, master's degree program. And coming from Crawford County, some of you have heard of Bucyrus and the Bratwurst Festival, and that's, that's, that's in Crawford County. Um, but really working with the city since that time in varying capacities within the planning division. Now I'm the planning division's administrator, and planning is part of the development department. It's one of five divisions in the development department. We deal with land use planning, design guidelines, annexation, Public art program is within the planning division. A host of other things, um, Gary, but also importantly for today's conversation, the historic preservation section. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that is a program that oversees the city's individual listings for historic districts like Italian Village and Victorian Village, as well as individually listed properties like most recently Dan's uh, drive-in on the south side. And uh, Jamie here is recently been appointed as the historic preservation officer, uh, having served as a, a an assistant officer for about 14 years. So we're happy uh, to have him in a new capacity, and I'm sure he's going to be able to tell us a lot more about the details of that operation. Great, Kevin. Thanks very much. Okay, so should I be calling you Jamie instead of James? Yeah, that's great. All uh, right, Jamie. You know, a business Sounds card good. says James, but uh, I've always been Jamie. Okay. Um, if you get out of hand, I'm going to call you James. You know, but thank, as long that's as how it works. It'll be that's James. how it works. Okay. Yes, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I grew up in um, uh, Toledo suburb, Maumee. I was originally mm-hmm. yeah. uh, born in Fremont, so I'm a Northwest Ohio boy uh, from the great state of Ohio. Um, Got into old buildings with um, my grandfather was a cabinet maker and a master carpenter. My father always tinkered. He did regular um, business, um, but uh, then at home did woodworking. And I just grew up working on stuff like that. And that's how I got into old houses, which led me to historic preservation. Um, as Kevin was saying here uh, at the city, um, uh, just about 15 years uh, before this change that I've been in different roles, uh, supporting the different commissions. Um and there, thereby, all the various uh, applicants and developers who've come through uh, with projects over the years. Um, and as touched on, we do have, there's 18 
historic districts. Four of those are large contiguous districts that everybody's kind of familiar with. The German village, um, Italian village, Victorian village, and the brewery district. But 14 more are scattered sites that all fall under our fifth commission, which is the Historic Resources Commission. And that's going to be places like Bryden Road, um, East Town Street, uh, smaller non-contiguous districts is is what falls under the HRC. Mm -hmm. And um, I know in 1997, we only had 39 um, individually listed properties, and we are up to 75 now. So that's really good uh, on our – that's the Columbus Register. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, uh, yeah, we – I'm uh, interested in your um, carpentry and woodworking and that type of stuff when you were younger because I've always been heavily interested in that and uh, that your grandfather and father – you know, we're in those trades. So, and yeah, I was lucky to have that kind of stuff passed down. Um, yeah. It didn't necessarily always start with the most fun. Hand me that uh, oh. that, that uh, tool and sure. no, that's not the tool I wanted. That kind of thing. But <laughs> yeah. you learn the hard knocks. Sure. Um, but to this day, I still you know like to work on my own stuff. In mm-hmm. fact, Kevin here actually is, is quite a worker himself. Really? Uh, restoring his uh, his. Uh, windows on his back porch and i just rebuilt one of my windows so we walk it as we talk it as well interesting so kevin you have some hands-on experience in i do um like jamie i i come by it uh through family connections my father was a woodworker um by avocation he was really talented i i am not nearly as talented as he was but really enjoy doing it um and uh you know, I'm in a stage of life where my kids are out of the house and I have a little more time to do it. So sure. really enjoy it. And then part of um, what makes that applicable is that my house is about 100 years old and it has the original wood windows. And as Jamie indicated, you know, learning how to restore and care for those mm-hmm. um, is something that I've been working on in the last year or so. Hmm. That's interesting, Kevin. You know, it's kind of fascinating to see people and how they respond to different materials like that. For instance, some people want the most modern, maintenance-free, easy, trouble-free item on earth, and that's their their goal in life is to make their whole house that way. Others find such value in in the history and the old old world craftsmanship ways and just love that stuff and are willing to maintain it because of just their, that emotional connection to that. So, you know, I, I can kind of experience both of those in my own life. I'm also love woodworking and years ago, um, of course I was working out in the field as a carpenter, building cabinets, building house, remodeling, all kinds of stuff and always loved it a lot. At the end of the day, you work hard and you could look at what you built and there's just a great reward to that. Uh, so today where I'm running a, a company with 54 employees, I don't have time to do that stuff. So my hobby is I'm a musician too, so I build guitars as a hobby. So that's yeah. where I get my my fix on building stuff with my hands because uh, I have oh, a little shop great. in my basement. Yeah. So that's my fun. <clears throat> but I have some stories to tell about historic guitars, which I think you guys will be interested in. <clears throat> so we'll save those maybe for the next segment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I've got a few myself. Okay, good. We'll <laughs> compare notes here. on uh, Willie Nelson's guitar alone is. Oh, stories. really? Oh, yeah. 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 So history, there's something to that. Uh, and are, do you guys just like history in general? I mean, is, are you wired for... Do, uh, I, I do. Yeah. Yeah. That was mm-hmm. something that was always part of growing up. Um, yeah. 
when we did go on a vacation, my parents always made sure it was museums and battlefields and things like that. Uh-huh. Yeah. So, so it's just, uh, yeah. From you the think start. they kind of instilled that in you then, or just, you just had an, yeah, interest? I think yeah. it really helped. And you know, as they always say, I mean, <laughs> to know where we're going, we need to know where we've been. Mm-hmm. So I think it really plays in. And of course it plays in with our, you know, our, our structures that we live in. Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you, you know, there's a saying, if you choose a job you love, you'll never work a day in your life. Uh, so, Jamie, you kind of look to me like that's who, what you're doing is living the dream and the, all the historics. So. You know, in some ways, yes, I'd say, mm-hmm. you know, uh, lots of blessings, mm-hmm. um, including my wonderful family. So Great. And Kevin, you've been at this for a while for the city of Columbus. I have. You must enjoy what you're doing. Yeah, I, I do. I think, you know, ultimately what the commonality between preservation and city planning is that, you know, these are both disciplines and areas of focus that really are are working with the built environment and um, doing the kinds of things that we can to um, protect the things about our city that make it unique and uh, are most important in terms of our built environment, but also uh, importantly in a growing city like Columbus, helping to uh, shape how the city is, is growing, infill development, new construction, and how that gels with an older city that brings yeah. so much uh, richness. That's to that's our urban a lot fabric. to uh, be responsible for. So we're going to be uh, I'll be interested in talking more about that, um, Kevin. So we're going to take a quick break here. When we get back, I want to talk about what it means to be a historian. Good morning, welcome back to the Dave Fox Home Remodeling Show. Really glad to have you listening in this morning. And today we are talking history. And today I have with me Kevin Wheeler and James or Jamie Goodman. And uh, they both work for the city of Columbus here. And Jamie, you're specifically in the historic preservation area. Correct. Where, Kevin, you're more a broad planning administrator. Correct. <clears throat> yeah. So we were talking in the last segment, in case you just tuned in, about your backgrounds and how you both have kind of some hands-on woodworking type uh, backgrounds and, and enjoy doing that type of stuff, as well as just your natural interest in planning preserving history and how things are planned and built. Obviously, Kevin, that's a really huge uh, issue in a large city like Columbus with so much going on. And, you know, in my business in remodeling, uh, there are areas of oversight that, and they vary from lot to lot and address to address and district to district. Uh, You know, you can have just the general envelope or covering of the city of Columbus and their guidelines. And then you might have a homeowner's administration uh, in an area. Uh, you got certain zoning requirements in different areas. So all of those set up really to kind of help us cohabit, you know, in a friendly, <laughs> controlled environment and not let things just get out of hand and go crazy. So it's interesting the opinions we get from people that we work with some appreciate and understand this. Others think, hey, I bought this house. I can do anything I want to with it. And I'm sure you guys run into that a lot. Um, people have a lot of ideas, and some of them are good, some of them not so good, some of them in between. And sometimes I'm sure you guys are put in a position of having to kind of say, well, wait, here's how, here's what we can do, here's what we can't do. Sure. It's always a balancing act when we're talking about um, either rehabilitating or restoring a historic property and you know if we're talking about new construction amongst all these historic properties there's a there's a balancing act that's there Mm -hmm. but that's where the guidelines for these properties um and each as of now um each of our different districts have their own set of guidelines eventually we'll 
you know, see best practice or best practices. And, you know, a lot of those things are applicable to any of them wherever they are. Yeah. Uh, So how does, how does that all start? I mean, like creating a historic district and, um, how does it get started? How's it maintained? Um, there's a lot to that, I'm sure. Well, um, if Kevin, if you'd like to, to touch on, you know, just like the, the, the how it, how sure. do it. Yeah. So city code um, spells out the process to establish a historic district. And, and I would say that there's sort of the technical part of that, uh, which is putting together a, a history, a map of the proposed district, um, sort of what the qualities and attributes are of that area historically, architecturally, um, that's done um, by the community, by the residents working together, um, not by the city itself. When an application is complete um, to to have a district established, that's submitted to the city, and then we conduct a process of review where we're contacting property owners formally, where we're uh, holding a public hearing and making a determination about whether the district um, meets the criteria set forth in code for it to be listed as a historic district. And I would say that um, one thing that's really important is that, you know, that the folks who are working on that application are working with their fellow property owners because it, um, in many ways, it's a, a real um, attribute to have historic district status. It's one of the things that, that arguably has been critical in the central city's revitalization, that stability that that provides. On the other hand, it does mean that, you know, you you have to go through some additional steps in order to make changes to your property and add on and so on. Um, And then ultimately, city council makes the decision about whether to designate a new historic district or an individual property, either either one. Mm -hmm. And and once it is, we have these guidelines. Mm -hmm. Um, We also have sections of city code that talk about, um, that are based on the Secretary of the Interior's uh, standards for historic preservation. So in particular, you know, what can you do to the outside envelope? You know, is that, there are some things that we can review by staff just in our office that we handle on a rolling basis. Larger undertakings would go to a, a let's say it was in Victorian Village. It would go to a Victorian Village commission hearing. Mm-hmm. These commissions meet monthly. Their deadlines are always two weeks ahead of time. Um, and um, they are um, created by a group of volunteers that are from all different uh, Professions. So we have architects, engineers, um, planners, landscape architects, and that's who typically is serving and residents serving as commissioners on these um, district commissions. Uh, and then they're all staffed by um, our office, the Historical okay. Preservation Office. So as, as uh, oversight. Yes, to lead mm-hmm. these through. And uh, so it is a parliamentary process mm-hmm. um, that um, ultimately votes on if things are approvable or not, yeah. if they meet those guidelines and those standards. Yeah. Now, Kevin, you mentioned that it's actually residents that uh, create this application and turn it in. It's not the city of Columbus coming in and saying, hey, we're declaring these blocks a historic district and here's the law. Instead, the residents themselves are putting this together, right, and applying to the city of Columbus? That That is correct. Mm-hmm. We, we will certainly work with residents to help them understand the process and, you know, what the um, criteria are, but if you look at the history of the different historic districts in Columbus, um, what you'll find is a lot of local advocacy on the part of, of residents who wanted to protect the, the character of these communities. Mm-hmm. 
Sure. Now, when we talk about the guidelines that are set up for these, and I assume that they're they're different uh, with each district, or are they the same? They're very similar to okay. each other, but having been done at different times, um, and being uh, the way it's codified is that you do have a separate one for each at this time. So yes, they do. And I, I think the important thing to note there is that the similarities really speak to best practices in preservation and restoration and new infill development. These are these are themes that really apply whether the prevailing architecture is Victorian or Italianate mm-hmm. or um, you know craftsman. It really it's less about the individual style of the architecture and more about best practices with preservation generally. But there are um, you know because these guidelines were created at different points in history. Um, you know, you'll see different things that are uh, emphasized. Mm-hmm. Uh, in all cases, as a staff, we work with applicants to understand the guidelines, see how they apply to their situation. And then that ultimately, if a case is the type of project that goes to the commission, then that's what the commission uses as they review proposals. Okay. So the residents have influence over the guidelines? Um, no, no? The, the guidelines are adopted by city council. Oh, so okay. they're established. Okay. But um, just... You know, if you want to do something like restore or rebuild a porch that used to be on your you know, in your house that's not there anymore, the guidelines are the, are a, the first tool that we will look to to help sure. um, re- either respond to your proposal or to help you understand how best to approach it. Mm-hmm. And with the professionals that we have in our office that know about, um, you know, the best practices uh, and um, historic architecture, we can counsel folks on, you know, well, here's what their initial design is, or maybe they don't even have a design. Maybe they just know that they'd like to, um, they can tell that there must have been a porch on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's all sorts of tools that we can use, not least of which is is just our personal knowledge of what these styles are and looking for cues that you can see on a building. Um, a lot of times ghosts, if you will, are left mm-hmm. behind from where things have been removed. And those can be very helpful. Things like uh, the Sanborn fire insurance maps show exactly where someone's porch mm-hmm. was if the property was there. There's all sorts of um, uh, skills and um, the knowledge that we can bring to task to help folks uh, kind of better conceptualize what they might be trying to do. Sure. So if someone wanted to add on to the home and maybe there was no previous structure there, but they wanted to add on, what in general, what guidelines would they have? Well, we'd be working through the standards for alteration. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, um, a lot of that is based off the Secretary of the Interior standards. Okay. So, for example, we wouldn't be putting an addition on the front of a house. That would be the last place we'd start with. Mm-hmm. You would be thinking about... Um, a rear is the first place that we'd think about in terms of adding on to something. Mm-hmm. But it is about how does a modern requirement in a modern building, how does that work with the historic architecture? Because that's something that we're always doing. We're balancing the current needs of the residents with the needs of that home. Because these homes have served population for, in some cases, 120 years. Yeah. We want them to be around for another 120 years sure. and we want them to have just as many kids running through them. And um, so that's why mm-hmm. it's a balance. Yeah. So. A balance. So interesting, Jamie, uh, we're going to take a quick break after the break. I want to follow up a little bit more on that. And then we're going to talk more specifically about the process for a homeowner to go through when they want to make some improvements. So we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to the Dave Fox home remodeling show. I'm Gary Demas. Really pleased to be with you all this morning. And glad to have you listening in. I'm sure there's a lot of our faithful, loyal listeners out there. We love hearing feedback from you folks. And if there's any new listeners, welcome aboard. Today we are talking about historic 
structures uh, specifically and some of the different uh, districts in the Columbus area uh, that are, what would you call it, uh, Jamie, city um, approved or... Uh, there are um, the terminology. architectural review commissions. Uh, they're historic okay, districts. Yeah. So they're yeah, historic uh, districts headed by the city of Columbus, but not that you guys go in and find a place and just put the stamp of historic district on it. Instead, the residents actually come to you with an application. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's interesting. Citizen-led. Citizen yeah, I never uh, really realized that before. So <clears throat> I asked you both, Kevin and Jamie, about you know adding on an addition on a home, uh, a historic home. And when I think about that, I think about how we were talking in the first segment about just the love of history and how things that were built really early, there's just something to that because those craftspeople are gone forever, but they've left behind this thing that they made. And I was talking about these guitars that I have. <clears throat> I have two historic guitars. Uh, one is uh, 1836. It was made by a, a gentleman named Louis Panormo in London. And... Um, it's a he's a pretty well known builder because he was the first one to come up with some fan bracing and guitars at that time and at that time guitars were a lot smaller. So I'd been kinda interested in him mainly because one of my guitar buddies was very interested in him <clears throat> and um had an opportunity to buy one that needed a lot of restoration work and um I I purchased it and because I work on guitars I love you know, repairing guitars, especially guitars of value. And here's this one, which is very valuable, but really needed a lot of restoration work. But I just can't tell you the feeling I had working with that piece of history in my hands and just thinking of the craftsman back in 1836, putting that together. And I had to pull the the top off the guitar and I could see the insides and all that stuff. And man, it's just so fascinating to, to work with something like that. And very rewarding to be able to restore it and have it in playing condition now, you know, and it's hanging in my music room. And then I've got another 1850 guitar made by Carl August Glacial. And he was in Mark Nekirch in Germany. It was the Saxon back, back, mm-hmm. Saxony back then, but in Germany now. <clears throat> so it's the same story there. I had to restore it. and But it's just, I just love those guitars. I like to hold them play them a little bit. It's just, you know, knowing that you're holding that history in your hands. Sounds like you need a little parlor uh, Martin from, you know, 1862. Well, I've had a chance to repair a lot of those. Uh, I have a good friend that does uh, some Civil War reenactments, and he has some Martin guitars of the Civil War era. So he brings them to me for repair, and I just love working on that They're stuff. They're fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Wow. <clears throat> but anyways, you know, that's, I, I guess I'm trying to get a point across of the, uh, the point of the value of history and how that it's, it's here for us as a gift today because we can't ever, you know, get those craftsmen back to build what they built 100 years ago. Or the materials. Yeah. We can't get the old growth wood back. Right. And you can't pay a craftsman to do some of the stuff they did on an hourly basis today because the house would cost $2 million. <laughs> yes. so, so I learned with my window restoration. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Did you, so did you price some of that out to have someone do it? Uh, well, you know, I I, uh, I did get a sense of that, and you know, um, decided that there was a real benefit in learning to to work with it directly. So Absolutely. It's, uh, you know, these are our windows that, as Jamie said, these are old growth wood. Um, mm-hmm. They've they've held up remarkably well over time, and there's a real value in maintaining that uh, part of your your home. And that's one of the reasons that the design guidelines that we talked about earlier across every district really emphasize the importance of preserving the original materials whenever possible. Um, 
and you know sometimes it isn't but mm -hmm. uh, whenever you can mm -hmm. those are resources that as you talked about with your guitar um older guitars you know they're mm -hmm. not making them in the same way mm -hmm. um so let's keep them if we can absolutely and it just you know when we, we talk about these districts and guidelines and and how you're protecting really the historic value of an area and I'm thinking if I bought a really nice home in Victorian Village that had all this history and, and carvings and ornamental woodwork and stuff from the era that it was built, I wouldn't want my neighbor putting some modern, you know, structure next to my house because that would detract from the value of my property. So that's why we've got the oversight here is just to protect the quality of, of the structures, correct? Yeah, uh, Gary, you know, I... I don't want to throw modern architecture under the bus. Mm -hmm. No, we're not doing that. It is because it is possible is it? to do that. And I'd look at, uh, we have some neat examples here in town, I think, especially in Italian Village, where some really modern ideas uh, are blending right in hmm. uh, and working within the context of the historic districts. Um, you can, all over the states, um, Cambridge has got some really great examples in Massachusetts, too. Yeah. Um, quite partial so in a historic district and that you could pull that off it could mm -hmm. but it takes it takes more time and more skill on the part of uh the architects i believe because they have to make sure that it's all congruent in the there's all sorts together. of yeah there's mm -hmm. a lot of moving parts and you know really when we're talking about the place kevin touched on it you know when we're talking about these these properties we really want to repair first mm -hmm. if you can't repair then it's replacing in kind and uh, our offices, over time, continue to develop with what the market has done, uh, changes in what products are available. Mm -hmm. um, and we've done that through test cases to the point where we have um, approvable clad windows. You wouldn't have seen that even mm. five years ago Yeah, to be able to maybe on a secondary elevation like the rear or sides, you might have been able to do that in a in a pinch. But... Uh, um, because of the changes in technology, we have to keep trying to move forward. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm a homeowner, and I want to do some work on my historic home in a historic district. What do I do? Well, if you're in one of our districts, uh, there is an application process. And because we're primarily concerned with all exterior work, so that could even include your landscaping okay. um, or your, your outbuildings. Or, and you wouldn't think about it, but is it okay to put a shed on on, on Goodale Avenue, you know, I don't know. Well, we have to see. Mm -hmm. So any exterior work, um, all, I should say, all interior work and your exterior work would still be subject to a regular building permit if that's what's required by uh, building and zoning services. But to obtain that within a historic district, you would first need to have what's known as a certificate of appropriateness. You get that by filling out one of these applications, working through with staff, perhaps it's a larger uh, undertaking and it does have to go to a monthly commission meeting. Maybe that takes a few months, but the application process is designed to spell out what you're trying to do, to have staff be able to take a look at that, help guide you through the process. There's a lot of things that we can just approve in-house. For example, your more typical changes, uh, which would be more temporary in nature. So like painting a, a structure, repainting it, um, that does require an approval from our office but it's um, something we call staff approval. We handle them on a rolling basis, and it just it's uh, first in, first out. Okay. So on painting, uh, Jamie, if it's if you're not changing colors, would that still be required? Yeah, it mm -hmm. would. Okay. Um, and that's really it's about um, all your neighbors around you knowing that everybody's 
no, no one's doing any work that hasn't been been mm-hmm. approved. Okay. Now, that's a really simple thing. Um, mm-hmm. And in that case, it really would be an application with a couple photographs that just said repaint to match mm-hmm. existing. Mm-hmm. And we'd take care of it in a couple mm-hmm. days and get okay. you going. Yeah. Good. <clears throat> but then if they're changing colors, obviously you're, you're getting It's only involved. a little bit longer. Mm-hmm. You know, I always say there's no wrong there's no wrong colors. Uh, we would talk you off the ledge if you did come in with fluorescent yellow. Um, but uh, throughout time, if you, it's a really interesting thing to study and drill down into is what, what colors were um, popular mm-hmm. and what would have been done. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you know, with the East Lake period, which is the highest Victorian uh, period, you had homes in our city that had eight different paint colors. And that's mm-hmm. really hard for us to wrap our minds around now because of what that would cost us to do now just in the just in hiring someone to do the painting or in your time doing it yourself Mm -hmm. uh but typically we'd say you know two colors at least you know paint a main body and a trim is what Mm -hmm. i'd always recommend and it's great to throw an accent in but Mm -hmm. you're not required to Mm -hmm. now do the neighbors have any say in that no sir you're you're controlling that process Mm -hmm. yeah now if uh, a project is more complicated let's say it's an addition we Mm -hmm. talked about that earlier those are things that come before the uh, relevant commission. So we've used Victorian Village as an example. So the Victorian Village Commission um, is is uh, the body that would consider those. And in those instances, the commission rather than staff is making the determination. Great. Okay, we got to take a quick break. After the break, I want to finish this conversation, then we'll get into uh, your locale in office. So we'll be right back. Good morning. Welcome back to the Dave Fox Home Remodeling Show. Really glad to have you listening in this morning. And especially if you're interested in history, you'll uh, have the, you, hopefully you've been enjoying our show. We're talking about historic areas in the city of Columbus. And I have with me Jamie and Kevin. They're both working for the city of Columbus and have for years. And uh, both have an interest in two things. One is uh, just that the city is well-planned and organized in a good environment for all the citizens. Number two, that we're preserving uh, historic areas and making sure that things are handled with good judgment, right? Yeah. Sound fair enough? That's, fair enough. That's, uh, yeah, that's very accurate. Okay. So, Kevin, uh, we were talking a little bit about, uh, what were we talking about? <laughs> so, uh, you know, we, we, right. We Earlier, we talked about the fact that a lot of the work that a homeowner would want to do um, on their on their property are, are things that can be reviewed and approved at a staff level in our mm-hmm. office. and. Uh, mm-hmm. Um, that can happen, you know, within a week or so. It doesn't take sometimes even shorter than that. It doesn't uh, require a lot of time. Um, more complicated cases, things like a, a building addition, room addition, maybe a new home and a on a vacant parcel, are things that go to the different commissions that are in place. And we talked about this earlier. We have the Victorian Village Commission, Italian Village, Brewery District, German Village. Each of those have their own commissions. The commissions are uh, made up of folks that have different um, skill sets and background uh, experiences, and they're appointed by the mayor. Um, they meet on a monthly basis, and cases that go before those commissions get turned in the deadlines a couple weeks prior to the commission hearing. And it's very common for people to come in for what's called a conceptual review, where they're saying, you know, this is kind of what I'm thinking about. Can you give me some feedback? And the commissions are really good at working with applicants to kind of make suggestions. And often, you know, after a series of back and forth conversations, uh, you know, a project may change considerably in ways that the applicant originally might not have envisioned, but ultimately likes better. So um, the process is designed to be um, really one that that uh, is collaborative in a sense, but this isn't about 
um, controlling the product as much as helping a homeowner think through how best they can accomplish what they're looking to do. Mm-hmm. And the the time involved in this um, can vary, I suppose, with the type of project. If it's a, if it's a more complex project, how soon so what should someone get started, and what do they need to present? Do they need to present formal plans uh, for review, or how does that work? So we would probably, if it was, let's say, it was a, a new building, we'd recommend that you start it as a a conceptual review process that Kevin just started to touch on, where the standards for what you need to turn in for that are much lower. So you just have some basic elevations and a general site plan and some current photographs, and that's what we'd need to be able to start drilling down into what the request is and how that might be, um, how it might need to change or how maybe it's already all set. And before someone has spent the time to do you know, formal drawings, uh, certainly before they've done CDs, you mm-hmm. know, construction drawings mm-hmm. to get to that point, um, it's an opportunity for um, homeowners or um, uh We'll say applicants in general, because it could be someone like yourself that's representing, you know, mm-hmm. this homeowner. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it gives them a chance to uh, get the feedback directly from the commission. Um, so, you know, maybe you're dealing with three other architects that are there, and all those heads together, based upon what our guidelines are and what the situation mm-hmm. is. Nine times out of ten, I think you turn out with a better project. Yeah, and that's just some good due diligence. I mean, like you said, you don't want to pay an architect to have construction drawings right. ready uh, and th- pay thousands of dollars and then take it before you guys and say, well, I'm sorry, but here's why that can't work. And what you would do is you take that feedback and you you, you yeah. reinsert that into what you're thinking about. And that gives you the confidence yeah. to you know, start developing something a little bit more in depth and then come back to the commission. There's no requirement for how many times you can do it. You know, it's not like you're one and now next come back with final drawings. That's not how it works at all. We'll work with people for, in some cases, very, very large projects that you see in the short north, mm-hmm. um, you know, have gone on for months. Okay, so uh, new home or major addition, how much time should people allow for the whole process? Hmm. Well, you know, that's going to be a sliding scale depending mm-hmm. on how significant the, the ask is. I'd say at least you'd be looking at two monthly circums mm-hmm. uh, uh, um, rounds so especially if you did a conceptual first and then maybe it was just so perfect that you just had to do some final drawings and mm-hmm. come back before maybe it gets changed a little bit and then you're done mm-hmm. that's um ambitious yeah it's, it's also the case that our staff jamie and uh the rest of the preservation office staff that you know, is really good at what they do they're very familiar with the guidelines and the commission areas can can also give you some feedback prior to the time you go to the commission and just kind of help you understand the kinds of things that they're going to be looking for, um, what to expect in that process. We we want to be as supportive as we can as, as folks are approach that because mm-hmm. we know that in most cases they've never done that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We, we're there every day to try to um, you know help tee things up for folks. Sure. So uh, okay, so I've let's say I'm a homeowner and I I want to put an addition on and I need to talk to re- remodeling companies about that and uh, but I want to throw some ideas by you. Where who do I call? Where do I go? to? Well, depending on what what neighborhood you're in, mm-hmm. we have different staff members. Okay. okay. Um, and that information is on our website on who to contact first. Okay. The easiest way to get there would be columbus.gov backslash historic preservation. It's a shortcut to our website okay. and all the different commissions. So I know I'm in the brewery district, and I can click on the brewery district, and it'll take me to their page. 
and right in the corner it'll have where the primary contact is. Okay, so that's Columbus.gov slash historic preservation. Pres- no preservation. Space. Yeah. Historic preservation. That's right. Okay. And there uh, I could find out who I need to talk to. Exactly. About my... And I'd say we'd, you know, if you, uh, we'd recommend that you call to make an appointment. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, for a sit down because then we're going to be able to be prepared about what your case might be and really have the time set aside to, to be able to help you. Yeah. And one of the things that uh, we have that's, I think, really can be very interesting is that we have files on every property that's been through our office for any kind of a application. So if you have a property that's had work done on it in the past, we can pull the file and show you what that might have been by a previous homeowner. In some cases, it might be a, a design that they ultimately didn't build. Um, and yeah. you might find that really helpful. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, you know, uh, especially if we're talking about one of our, like our, one of some of our older districts, we have pictures that go back to you know, 1967. And so someone who just bought a house in German Village today might be able to see a series of photographs from the late 60s all the way through the 80s and, you know, to, to, to now, yeah. um, which that alone can be pretty exciting for a homeowner. Yeah, it reminds me of a house we, we worked on uh, in, uh, in the, the owners had a picture of like horses out in front of their house <laughs> and that uh, they really cherished that picture. So that's fascinating. One of the neater things you'll see in these old neighborhoods is you'll see a center stone in front of a house, uh, the old carriage steps. Um, oh, yeah. And a lot of times they yeah. have the property address on it. Um but uh, you can't say horses without me thinking about that. Yeah. Well, Jamie and Kevin, it's been great having you on the show this morning. Really learned a lot. And it's a fascinating subject. History is fascinating in itself, I think, to the three of us here. We love it. And uh, actually in homes, just appreciating the craftsmanship that went into some of these historic homes is just, it's it's fascinating just to think of the men working on them. So Absolutely. I really appreciate uh, having you on this morning. Uh, we appreciate all of our tuners listening in. And um, if you ever want to hear one of our past uh, broadcasts, or maybe you just caught the tail end of this one and want to hear the full broadcast, you can go to DaveFoxRadio.com. There you can hear all of our previously broadcast shows. Um, I'm Gary Demas, President of Dave Fox, Design Builder Mollers, and we just appreciate having you listening in this morning. And we will be back next Sunday morning.